He has braved some of the most perilous situations in the world, but now his most intimidating assignment, dancing the cha-cha-cha on national television. It's political journalist Tucker Carlson and his professional partner, Elena Grenyenko. My name is Tucker Carlson. I'm a journalist. I wrote for magazines and newspapers for about 10 years, and I've been in television news for about six. There are some unknown number of Israeli forces, the hundreds, maybe the thousands. When I first got the call about doing this, I thought oh, they must be calling the wrong guy. My dance experience consists of drinking too much at a couple rehearsal dinners. It's all about the wedding performance, baby. All right. Happy Bay Day, uh, comrades and friends, uh, ladies and gentlemen, etc. Uh, all of the relevant phrases there. Um, so uh, the clip that you just watched uh was of course of uh you know friend of the show but no longer friend of fox news uh tucker carlson uh dancing on television for some reason uh we are going to uh yeah i i don't know um we are going to be doing a tucker deep dive uh today uh, we have uh, some GTA All-Stars on, got uh, Naomi Caravani, R.M. Brown, Bronco uh, Marchtich. Um, but uh, before we get to the Tucker talk, uh, I do want to uh, talk a little bit about Mayday. I should say I was so blown away by Tucker's performance, I forgot to say. My name is Ben Burgess. This is Give Them an Argument. I am joined, as always, by our super producer, Jake Appett, and uh, by our very talented graphic designer, J. Andrew World. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we do have a couple things that we want to get to before we, uh, before we get to Tucker. Uh, first one is that it is, in fact, May uh, Day today, uh, which is, you know, if you do a Google search for for May Day, the first Wikipedia entry will come up will be the, you know, dancing around Maypole's version of uh, of May Day. Um, Actually, I think it's I think it's uh, Justin Timberlake you get to first, and then it's the dancing around Maypole's. <laughs> Fair enough, uh, but uh, the uh, you know the entry on the May Day that we mean uh, is called International Workers Day, uh, because of course that is what it is. This is. Um, you know, this, uh, this is recognized that way practically everywhere except for the United States, uh, where we put Labor Day on this totally different day, uh, months away, which is a little bit funny because as I'm sure one of you, uh, bright gentlemen can tell me, uh, why is International Workers Day on May 1st? What's that all about? I believe that might have something to do with the Haymarket Massacre. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, which, which took place in which country? Um, the, the foreign country of Chicago. Yes, exactly. Exotic uh, Chicago. Yeah. Technically located in the United States of America. Uh, the, uh, the same country that we're all in various parts of. Well, we all know uh, Obama what was from there. <laughs> or, I vaguely remember hearing that, but in any case, um, yeah. So the uh, the Haymarket, you know, massacre uh, took, you know, was sort of culmination, culminating event after these four days 
of this general strike that was about demanding a eight hour workday. Um, and this is, um, you know, this is a struggle that was ongoing for a very long time um, afterward and, you know, is only really achieved in uh, the late 1930s. Uh, it's the Fair Labor Standards Act uh, caps off the, uh, the workday at uh, 40 hours. Uh, this is non-coincidentally happening at the same time as the solidification of the American labor movement that these sort of big industrial unions affiliated with the CIO that started in the thirties, um, you know, getting a lot of their initial victories and sort of establishing this, you know, legal system of collective bargaining uh, for, uh, for the first time uh, through national uh, national labor relations act. Um, and this it's, you know, also not a coincidence that um, the, you know, we've, Obviously, we're coming out of decades of stagnation and defeat uh, for uh, the workers' movement, and that uh, the work week hasn't lowered any uh, since uh, since 1938. You know that uh, uh, you know unless you work for GTAA, in which case you're expected to you know devote um, every waking hour uh, to uh, to this podcast. Um, Otherwise, uh, you know, the, uh, the legal cap is 40 hours and, you know, you could work a little bit extra if you're paid overtime, whatever. But uh, that means that you don't get one single solitary less hour a week uh, than your grandfather got. Um, because that is what a broken system with a profoundly disempowered working class gets you. Uh, so last week we talked a little bit about um, something that Bernie Sanders has been pushing among other people, which is to deepen the you know victory of uh, the uh, the 1930s uh, and um, and God, I mean, you can go back to um, you know you can go back to like mid 19th century Britain if you read uh, Marx's uh, Capital. Uh, chapter 10 is all about, you know, the working day is about the struggle for a 60 hour work week. Uh, in that case, 10 hours a day, Monday through, uh, through Saturday. Um, and the kind of bitter and protracted struggle that it took to, uh, to achieve that. Uh, but of course, there has been this, you know, massive increase in labor productivity, uh, since, uh, since 1938. It would be nice if some of that. Uh, went to uh, increased uh, leisure time for the working class. Uh, this is why people like Bernie are talking about a 32-hour work week. Uh, and we have a clip of actual, you know, not using it this in the usual shitty way we use this phrase, uh, but actual friend of the show, Kyle Kalinske, uh, talking about that. This article is in Jacobin and is written by friend of the show, Ben Burgess. Everybody go check out. Uh, his YouTube channel and his various articles. Bernie Sanders is calling for reduction in the work week to 32 hours at full-time pay. He's absolutely right. Gains in productivity should serve the working class. Earlier this month, Bernie Sanders renewed his longstanding call to reduce the work week to 32 hours. He pointed out that there have, have been huge advances in technology and productivity in the eight decades and change since the Fair Labor Standards Act capped the work week at 40 hours. 
So here are his exact words. In 1940, the Fair Labor Standards Act reduced the work week to 40 hours. Today, as a result of huge advances in technology and productivity, now is the time to lower the work week to 32 hours with no loss in pay. Workers must benefit from advanced technology, not just the 1%. Critics argue that it's fine if technological advances deliver the shorter work week without government intervention, but that top-down interference in the free market is a bad idea. This idea doesn't stand up to even cursory scrutiny. If the reduction in hours was going to happen without being mandated, it would have happened long ago. Bernie is right. If we want increased productivity to benefit the working class, we need to take political action to make that happen. The idea is slowly gaining traction. Last year, a state-level version was proposed in California. And this March, there was an attempt in Congress to institute a 32-hour work week by amending the Fair Labor Standards Act. So, look, on this one, shout out to um, California. They also led the way when it comes to uh, generic medicine. They're doing their own, like, California state insulin factory, which they're going to sell at a much lower cost than what insulin goes for from the pharmaceutical companies. They're doing sectoral bargaining when it comes to um, unions for uh, fast food workers. So they're going to set wages across the entire industry, which is a phenomenal idea. And by the way, it's by doing things like sectoral bargaining that people get paid even above and beyond what a minimum wage should be because the union's protecting all the workers in that industry. That's phenomenal. And apparently they gained a, um, they, they proposed a state level 32 hour work week there recently. So he goes on to say, right now, these efforts face an uphill battle, to say the least. The California bill stalled out in 2022, though it could be amended and reintroduced this year. The federal attempt to the federal attempt is going to be strangled in the crib, as a matter of course. It was introduced in the House Education and Workforce Committee, whose chair, Republican Representative Virginia Fox of North Carolina, has said that blanket federal regulations often cause more harm than good because they don't account for the unique needs of various groups and that Main Street America doesn't need more top-down federal mandate. That's hilarious. I love how she tries to frame it as like it's being pro-Main Street to be against a 32-hour work week, when obviously almost everybody on Main Street would be like, hell yeah, we want a 32-hour work week. Um, he continues, all of this top-down mandates talk, all uh, all this talk of top-down mandates makes me wonder what Fox or Shackelford would think about bottom-up mandates imposed by strong labor unions. I suspect, suspect neither of them would support the PRO Act or similar efforts to create a more favorable legal environment for organizing unions. That's such a great point. They're like, we're against the government intervening to say 32-hour work week. We're against top-down enforcement. So Burgess is like, okay, what about bottom-up enforcement? What if the union said, let's do 32 hours? They'd still oppose it. They'd still oppose it. This is this is who they are. They're just not in favor of it, but they find weaselly ways to say they're not in favor of it or weaselly reasons to say they're not in favor of it. Yeah. Um so this is just clearly something that's uh that's not going to happen uh without somebody making it happen whether the regulatory state a reinvigorated labor movement uh or both, uh, but just realized I had a prop there for uh, for reinvigorated labor movement. Uh, but uh, but in any case, um, we will uh, be uh, be talking more about this. But just wanted to uh, to highlight that again on uh, on May Day. Was also very happy to see somebody in the chat saying the um, federal workers in Canada just got a tentative agreement. By the way. Uh, Rutgers, we covered the Rutgers strike extensively when that was happening. Uh, also, uh, just got a tentative agreement. Uh, the 
it was like a little bit complicated because the governor had been mediating it. We ended up going back to work for a framework that wasn't like a fully fleshed out uh, TA, but you know, there is a tentative agreement now embodied all those gains, the, you know, 43%, you know, increase uh, for pay for adjuncts and a lot of the other, you know, demands at the time. So strikes work more strikes, please. Uh, either of you guys have anything about this before we move on to the next topic? Um, the only thing I would add is, uh, I mean, I even saw Dave Rubin talking about this. I think it popped up in my TikTok about, you know, we're all so, we should be afraid of automation because what that means uh, for labor conditions. But people act as if it's the, you know, I'm not the first to make this point, but it's a bit tiring to see people act like it's the automation that's making the labor conditions worse as opposed, you know, to the relative power of uh, America's workers to actually uh, benefit from the fact that, you know, overall the workforce is so much more efficient. So it's not the technology itself. And even if people are just doing it kind of uh, not on purpose, I think it's a mistake to kind of cede this power to just like this, uh, you know, uh, completely non-judgmental force of history that is technological improvements, because that's been happening for a long time, and that isn't new. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, under different political conditions, technological improvements could, yeah, could just be a shorter work week, uh, right? Uh, in fact, there have been a massive amount of technological improvements since the last time the work week uh, was lowered. It just not in conditions of class struggle that enable workers to capture that um, capture those productivity gains for themselves, either in terms of meaningfully higher wages or shorter hours. Uh, okay. Uh, so there are just a couple more things that we want to get to uh, before uh, we, uh, we bring on our panel and talk about uh, Tucker. Uh, but uh, first, um, I had something, but first, I know Andy. You've been following this story in uh, in Florida with uh, about Disney versus DeSantis, and I know you have a different perspective on this. And you think that a lot of progressives are kind of missing the boat on uh, an important part of this story. So, you know, you want to kind of take a minute and fill us in on that. Yeah, I'm not actually sure who who was uh, I was fighting with on Twitter because just like people were coming into my timeline. Um, uh, and like, you know, adding me with the weird stuff, but basically, um, uh, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis has been going after Disney, um, uh, because they apparently are against his, uh, don't say gay bill. Right. And, uh, there's this weird thing where Disney has like this, this, uh, right of land that, um, that, that they control, like, uh, have a, a board of governors that, that controls and that the state allows them to, to make decisions The uh, Ron DeSantis tried to, um, uh, pull that power from Disney, and uh, because of uh, Disney speaking uh, speaking out against his uh, anti-trans stuff, and right. now Disney's suing Ron DeSantis, um, you know, uh, because of this. And I'm like, well, that that doesn't sit well with me at all. Like, like people people were actually like going on Twitter, going like, yeah, go Disney, you know, take take the fight to Ron. And I'm just like, wait, 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 no, 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 this is bad. This is bad because like anytime. A, a uh, you know, somebody's, you know, a, a, a uh, corporation is suing somebody because of uh, like trying to basically have more power. That usually is a bad thing for the workers. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there are two issues going on here. I mean, I haven't followed this closely, so maybe you can correct me on this. But I think that uh, the actual 
legal argument Disney is using is that they're you know being retaliated against for speech, basically. No, uh, that no. that is not okay. that is how the media is portraying it. If you actually okay. look at the uh, the the um, uh, the suit itself, it's actually talking about contract law. And it's very specifically going back to the Lochner era of uh, courts where, like, basically the, the Supreme Court helped uh, codify a lot of uh, uh, monopolies uh, of the era that, that took, you know, a good chunk of the 20th century to, like, unwind. And then uh, yeah. the end of the 20th century, they started winding back up. Uh, so, so this would actually, like, uh, destroy laws created to protect us that were done after, you know, as a result of the Lochner era. Um uh, which is what it looks like. And that's, that's the problem with this case is that, yeah, it's they're They're saying, you know, like, like uh, the news people are reporting that, Oh, this is a, uh, a free speech issue. And it's not. Um, and that's not even how the case is. Um, Mark Joseph Stearns and slate has a fantastic article on this, uh, which, which I, I recommend everybody to read. Cause he actually covers the history really well, which is where I'm pulling a lot of this stuff from. Um, Thankfully, because it was better than my, you know, trying to guess like uh, what uh, what it was just by my, uh, you know, layman's reading of everything. Um, but but uh, it's, it's a fantastic article. And um, uh, he, he does go throughout the walks you through the history to understand like where um, uh, what these laws are that that uh, they're fighting, how they're writing the uh, the case and what the effects are of it. Um or, you know, fairly clearly, I don't think he goes into that much detail of the effects, but, you know, it gives you a pretty solid idea that, you know, uh, this this is like a uh, Jason versus Freddy fight. Uh, no matter who wins, we lose. Uh, fun fact. I When I saw that movie in the theater uh, back in, you know, whatever that was, 2009 or something. Yeah. You said this is just like Disney versus DeSantis. Uh, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> nobody at the theater had any idea what the fuck I was talking about. Um, said, all right, I know what Disney is. What's this DeSantis of which you speak? <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I remember I was uh, pulled over for uh, speeding or something. I don't remember what I was pulled over for on my way back from the theater. And the cop asked me what I've been seeing watching. And I said Freddy versus Jason. We ended up having this like five minute conversation about Freddy and Jason. And then he just let me go. Yeah, it sounds like when I got arrested for an art show and the uh, cop locking me up in the cell um, uh, told me that he liked my Goonie shirt and tried to start <laughs> up a conversation about me about Goonies. I'm like completely freaking out at this point about being locked in a cell. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Goonies never said die. You gotta, you know, you gotta keep up your uh, your courage in the face of that situation. Yes. The the, uh, the the last thing to add, which is a really out of pocket co- uh, comment and concept, is imagining Andy the uh, just like the chaos of who you're fighting with on Twitter at this point, not even knowing who you're fighting with, reminded me of that Creed Baden Braden quote from The Office, where he's talking about how he's not offended by homosexuality, and he says. In the 60s, I made love to many, many women, often outdoors in the mud and the rain. And it's possible a man slipped in. There would be no way of knowing. Uh, that reminds me of uh, just what's going on in your Twitter mentions. Uh, who knows? There's no way of knowing who's in there fighting with you. It could be anybody at this point. Uh, it's, 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 it's it's a lot. So really out of pocket comment. But uh, uh, yeah. yeah, well, I have fair to enough. Analogy. I like it. Uh, so... Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, DeSantis sucks. The uh, don't say gay stuff sucks. Uh, I also think it's probably a little short-sighted for people to be cheering for a mega corporation try to retain the closest uh, 21st century equivalent of a company town 
uh, in, uh, in Florida. Uh, okay, so I did have one other thing I wanted to bring up uh, before we uh, go to our panel. Uh, so that is about this controversy that I've been seeing uh, bubbling up, you know, in the mud and rain of, uh, of Twitter um, about uh, Adolf Reed. Uh, so uh, there is a book that's coming out soon uh, of essays by uh, Adolf Reed and Walter Ben Michael uh, that um, it's called uh, No Politics uh, But Class Politics. Uh, and the, this has been uh, controversial, not just because, you know, those are controversial guys. They say lots of controversial things. It's to be expected. Uh, but because of one particular essay that's uh, that's been reprinted in it and some, you know, Twitter sleuths. Yeah, that's the book, uh, No Politics But Class Politics. Uh, we'll see if we can get one of them on the show when it comes out to talk about it. Uh, but because uh, Twitter sleuths say one particular essay that was that's being reprinted in this book, uh, which is uh, an old essay, as you can tell from the title, called uh, From Jenner to Dolezal, uh, about these two incidents that had just happened, like very recently before he wrote it, or sort of two controversies, one about Caitlyn Jenner and one about Rachel Dolezal. And he's using it to sort of explore um, race and gender. And, you know, he's sort of, you know, interrogated this idea that people had that being trans is one thing, but, you know, you are, you just are what you are, what you are when it comes to, uh, to race. Anybody who's familiar with Adolf Reed's body of work on race would kind of know what his uh, objection to that, that last assumption would be, you know, he's, he's, always been very strongly a race isn't real guy. Uh, and, um, and that as a sort of secondary point, you know, I, I think he, you know, I mean, Adolf Reed supports trans rights. I think he said that in several places, but they have a, but um, I, I think he was also just kind of offended by the valorization of, uh, of Caitlyn Jenner as an individual Um because of Caitlyn Jenner's politics that, which actually I think he was probably a little early to the party on. I think a lot more people have realized uh, since then what uh, Caitlyn stands for. Uh, and so um, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about whether to say anything about this mini controversy. And I remember that I actually interviewed Adolf Reed back in 2020, like August, 2020, uh, in uh, when uh, I think GTA had already started, it was during the overlap between the two, but I was still co-hosting the Dead Pundit Society um, with Adam Proctor and Brianna Last, and we were interviewing Reed, and I asked him about this essay and people's reactions to it, and some of the ways that people were misinterpreting it, and I, I kind of think interpreted it as saying the opposite of what it's saying, and. You know, it's an old clip. It's like on a B side. That's like what they would call the. That's what we would call the equivalent of like a post game on uh, Dead Pundit Society. And uh, so I, I, it's, I mean, that podcast has been on hiatus forever. Uh, so I, this is pretty buried, and I think it would be relevant to sort of understanding Reed's own thinking about some of this stuff. So before I brought it on the panel, I just wanted to play this uh, this clip from DPS of me asking Reed about this essay. One thing I was just thinking about, right, since, since you mentioned the analogy to, uh, to gender earlier, is uh, an essay that, that you wrote, um, I don't know, a few years, several years back about uh, Rachel Dolezal, 
and I understand uh, NSA made heads explode all over the country. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I've had conversations with people that have literally gone like this. They say, oh, yeah, you should read Adolf Reed. He's great. And they say, oh, no, 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 Adolf Reed is transphobic. I said, really? Where are you getting that? Right? They, uh, and they say, oh, well, there's this essay. And the more we talk, the more I realize that somehow they managed to read that essay as saying that since we should all clearly be essentialists about race, <laughs> therefore we should all be essentialists about gender also oh, uh, you know like oh. rather than the rather than the other way around right you know that like yeah. just sort of saying that there's an analogy between these two cases right the only way they can pop they can they can process that right they're so committed to to this kind of taxonomy about race that the only way they can process saying mm-hmm. that there is not in fact some big principle distinction between being transgender and being transracial is by saying, oh, therefore, because being trans, you know, therefore, because because we should clearly dismiss what Dolzo is saying, therefore, we should dismiss what Jenner is saying. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is kind of a, uh, I was kind of a bizarre one. Uh, um, 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 I mean, Joanna Weiss, who was a grad grad student in our department, told me she's been defending me all over the world about this essay because I had no idea that people would, would have read it that way. Uh, well, they didn't read it at all. They just projected their own understanding. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they read then, enough. And then read the lead and then figured out, like, wait a minute. He's obviously essentializing race because that's the only fucking way you can talk about race. Right. So clearly he's just, you know, there for right. yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, too. Like, I, I came across somebody a few weeks ago on somebody else's Twitter feed or something who 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 referred to that article um, to uh, to the one trans good, the other not so much piece. And took issue, like this person's charge that I'm transphobic was that I insisted on referring to Jenner as a Republican Jenner. And my point was that, and see, this is like another place where Chris Rock's famous question, whatever happened to crazy, just, <laughs> just, just comes up because, because at one point in time, in this world, this motherfucker was known as Bruce. And mm-hmm. at another point, she's known as Caitlin. And and you can accept that what once was Bruce is now Caitlin. And my point was that the, the one identity that, or to me, the most significant identity that Jenner maintained was the one that was <laughs> continuous between Bruce and Caitlin, and that was this motherfucker was a Republican. I don't understand why we're supposed to be kissing a Republican ass all over the world. Uh, I kind of forgot how much Adolf Reed swears in that clip. I, I hope we don't get demonetized. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there is, you know, I, I think there's a discussion to be had about, um, you know, that... I mean, to my mind, I mean, I think the core of the essay is what I said earlier. The There's this strong secondary point, which is about, like, not worrying so much about, you know, who's supposed, you know, is or is it not, like, really what, you know, in their inner essence, which nobody else could tell anyway. And, you know, we shouldn't really need to, you know, in terms of having civil rights laws and non-discrimination and all that stuff, you know, we, we, we sort of don't need to adjudicate that first. And, um, 
you know, caring about people's role in the real world, in which case, you know, Jenner's role is uh, pretty awful. I mean, if, if, if you look at, I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, it's not like Adolf Reed just, you know, looked up uh, her voter registration and it's like, ah, Republican, right? Like this is, uh, this is, this is like lifelong advocacy uh, and uh, for, uh, for, for right-wing causes and, uh, you know, included actually not even being great on a lot of, uh, a lot of trans rights issues because, you know, I, I think that the, you know, he, might have had a point there that the uh, that like the identity that tells you the most about uh, about how she's going to act in the world uh, is Republican gender, you know, with the uh, with the two uh, with the two come into conflict. So in any case, for whatever that's worth, just to just to get um, you know Reed's own perspective on the controversy about his essay, I wanted to throw that in. I want to bring in our guests in just a minute, but beforehand, uh, if either of you guys wanted to weigh in on this at all. Yeah, I remember when she was running for governor uh, last year. That you know the uh, recall election. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the like first thing that that I heard about was something about like complaining about private jets, about like having like a certain a certain class of people being at that airport uh, that prevents the 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 reason why you have private jets or, or some kind of complaint. I don't remember the exact uh, quote or anything like that. I was uh, quickly trying to see if I could look it up, but. Um, it's such a, you know, like a minor thing. And it's just like, that's Caitlyn Jenner right there is, is the person who complains about the plebes at the uh, private airport. Yeah. That's uh, do you watch succession? No, uh, there was this whole thing in succession. One of the earlier seasons where, uh, the, um, Roy family was talking about maybe giving up their private jets. And, uh, one of the kids was really upset about that. And he's like, look, first they came for the PJs. <laughs> all right uh all right so i'm gonna see andy and jake in uh the post game we're also going to be joined by our live show producer uh jordan uh who and we're going to be talking about a couple of slavoj zizek articles should be a lot of fun but right now we are joined by rm brown and uh naomi caravani and Bronco March Teach. How are you guys doing today? What's up? Great. How are you? How are you guys? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Nice to meet you. I'm a big fan. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice. Absolutely. To meet you. I got my vape too. <laughs> okay, vape crew. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm shocked at myself how addicted I've become to this. I was always when vapes first came out was like that's embarrassing. I'm never going to do that, and now I cannot stop with this. No, it's so much better than smoking cigarettes. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm a vapist. <laughs> I'm a sworn vapist. Bronco, do you have a vape take? Yeah. <laughs> um, they're probably bad for you. <laughs> Bring it up now. Like yes. Way to uh, get past the kind of decades of, of uh, work to kind of eradicate uh, smoking. Um, you know, they're like <laughs> turn into delicious bubblegum candy thing that you can just have at any moment. I'm not saying that I don't, you know, I don't judge anyone for smoking, but it is, it is when I think about it from a marketing business perspective, I'm like, wow, these guys, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. Do you remember, Ben, do you remember Dennis Leary? 
when he was he would do that comedy where he's like, I love smoke. He's all about smoke. He's like, oh, smoking's so great. Maybe there needs to be a vape Dennis Leary, you know? <laughs> yeah. Defending how stupid vaping is. Yeah. Be a um, do like a updated version of the asshole song where it's just about how he's vaping everywhere. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> nice. Well, speaking of assholes, uh, <laughs> so uh, Tucker Carlson uh, was recently let go at uh, Fox News. Um, we were uh, just talking about succession, and it seemed like very much a ATN firing, you know, that you sort of find out in this uh, very sudden way, you know, after you did your last on-air appearance. Um, and he has, uh, I believe this is still his only communication since then. Jake, if we, we have this, uh, this video, uh, that he's just done this like little two minute video about, you know, he doesn't actually say the word Fox at any point, but it's like basically about his departure from Fox. Good evening. It's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. That's, uh, yeah, that's his pitch for Rumble, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm guessing, too. You guys probably have a deeper thought on this, but just aesthetically... You know, to honor the late great Jerry Springer, it does feel like a Jerry Springer final thought. Yes. Remember, 
Like, <laughs> it would be it would be like an hour of people that he paid two hundred dollars to throw chairs at each other, and they'd be like, you know what? This is actually about a deeper meaning here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which seems Maybe like you this, are actually yeah. the father. <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel like because I don't know. Maybe you guys know more. I read a little bit about the you know the internal reasons for him being fired. It sounds like it's probably something stupid. Like he was what in those private texts saying bad things about you know managers or something. But now he's trying to make it this big, you know, thing. But yeah, that's what it, that's what it feels like. Feels like also he can't stop doing his show. You know what I mean? Like it, this could be a more laid back video, but he just he can't stop doing it. You know? Yeah, he's got to put on the tie. Yeah, <laughs> and everything. Like, oh man. I like that he threw uh, demographics in there. He did the the list of important um, uh, topics like resources and war and civil liberties, and he just throws demographic change. Oh, um, I think uh, Nathan Robinson uh, uh, put it best in his, in his reaction to this video. Where he said basically, you know, I'd take him more seriously on this if he hadn't spent like three different episodes talking about how the uh, green M&M was no longer fuckable. Yeah. So, yeah. So shout out to Nathan for that one. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. I, is there like definitive information out there about why he was fired? I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've read a bunch of stories about this. I don't think there's anything definitive. Um, and who knows, maybe there won't be. But uh, so far, uh, you know, I've seen re reports of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, uh, uh, maybe a few other places that are all based on kind of like insider uh, information sources, you know, within Fox News talking to these reporters. And it seems like it was a combination of kind of, number one, this the several lawsuits that were heading, including for Tucker, you know, uh, uh, being a thoroughly unpleasant person to the people who work mm -hmm. under him. Um, uh, but, yeah, fact, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not a deciding factor at Fox News. No, yeah. no, not always. But it seems like it may have had a had a wall at some point. And especially, you know, as far as this lawsuit, there was going to be um, stuff that was going to come out. Apparently, of you know, videos that they didn't want to uh, uh, hit hit the public. You know, Tucker uh, calling his fans postmenopausal and all this sort of kind of stuff. Um, there was the uh, the fact that uh, uh, all these segments he did on January 6th, um, you know, the, the yeah. advertisers were, were um, like the big name, the really big blue chip advertisers were like, I'm not dealing with this person anymore. So that was part of it. And I think also there was, a, it seems like there was a general sense that he thought he was bigger than the network. Um, and uh, I guess the Murdoch's and Murdoch was like, uh uh, honey, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's you know, I have seen very, very little to no evidence that you know his supposedly heterodoxical positions on war and uh, yeah, and, uh, played any real uh role at all. And he's the only truth teller <laughs> about the Ukraine, yeah, that's the only one that's the only explanation I don't believe that he was just such a truth teller that they couldn't handle it, you know. that it doesn't add up. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is like, this is the thing. And, and as much as RM is completely right, I would not have made the connection on my own, but now that you've made it, I can't unsee it, uh, unhear it. It, it does, it does sound remarkably like <laughs> the intonation and like rhythms of a Jerry Springer final thought, uh, at, the, yeah. at the end of the episode. Um, but I, I will say that you do get a sense from that clip of, you know, just how good Tucker is at projecting this image that, I mean, I despise the guy, but like, honestly, if he hadn't, if he hadn't, uh, 
you know, if not for the turn in the punch bowl of throwing in demographic change as one of these <laughs> serious issues that we're not being allowed to have a debate about, like if he'd left that out, uh, then like I kind of want to nod along to most of that video. It's like, yeah, cable news is all bullshit. He's, he's part of it, but yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a yeah. huge part of it. Uh, it's a leading offender, but it's like, yes, it is It is all bullshit. Uh, it, it does distract us with nonsense. Uh, most of those uh, are important issues we should be talking more about. Uh, people should be, you know, like, you know, we should want people to sort of uh, be less worked up about, you know, hating each other over uh you know, sort of like constant cultural circus things and, you know, and, and all these other things. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. But I also would argue, uh, have argued. So I've, a uh, had a piece in Jack on, on Saturday, uh, say this very directly, uh, that, you know, this is, this is the character he played on TV. And he's really good at playing that character, but that doesn't actually mean um, that, you know, that doesn't actually mean that that's who he really was. I mean, in fact, if you look at Tucker Carlson's overall career, uh, he played a few different characters uh, on different shows. And this sort of like bold populist truth teller guy was the most recent one. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, he started off in a really, like really different place, actually. Uh, do we, uh, Jake, do we have the uh, Iraq clip? So this is Tucker on Bubba the Love Sponge in 2006. These uh, Arabs in Iraq aren't playing. Yeah. We're the only ones that are they playing. They don't like us. We are the only ones that are playing over there. They're yeah, not they're playing. so just awful. They're animals, they're dude. Awful. They, I, I, they are. I, I, I'm talking about. I hate about. the war. I have no, you know, I'm not defending the war in any way, but I just have zero sympathy for them or their culture, a culture where people just don't use toilet paper or forks. I mean, and, I, I, and the way they treat women, you know, I, I agree with you. Their, their culture is, is, but you're in their homeland, and you're over there as an American who they hate, and they want nothing more than the Americans off of their soil. So they're yeah, not going to play the games. Second we, I mean, they can just shut the fuck up and obey, is my view. And, you know, gotta, the second I, we leave, they're going to be calling for us to return. Because I just think, they can't govern themselves. I just think- yeah, I think uh, bidets are more popular in the Middle East than here. <laughs> I like how uh, very oh, deeply concerned Tucker Carlson is for the uh, treatment of women in Iraq. That's really touching on me. Tucker um, <laughs> has a, a steadfast track record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the thing with, with Carlson and this like, latest iteration of his uh, persona is uh, he was very good at threading this particular needle where he would – say enough, it would give enough kind of populisty window dressing to the things that he was saying to make you think, oh yeah, this guy um, is kind of, he's opposed to the establishment, he's opposed to kind of establishment politics and um, he, he kind of, uh, yeah, he has a lot of reasonable criticisms of both uh, the political order and the media and stuff. Yeah, this makes sense. But then he would, it was a very well kind of laid trap where he would he would say that stuff and then he would always kind of um, find a way to turn your attention, if you're the viewer, away from the actual problems into whatever kind of particular um, you know, right-wing obsession that he actually uh, uh, wanted to, to people to focus on. You know, um, and and uh, you kind of covered that in your piece, Ben. With the, I, I think the um, 
the the uh, baby formula shortage was a is a very good one where he, he kind of pays lip service to to you know people are struggling to find uh, uh, baby formula they're they're really hurting um, this is all because of the the or this is because partly the, the government's incompetence and the Biden administration isn't doing stuff it's it's saying that it, it can't do anything when it should be acting all of this is stuff that could number one appeal to people who are you know, not particularly ideological, but also would appeal even to people kind of, you know, on, on the left who are watching this and going, yeah, I, I, I do feel like the Biden administration is kind of porting off responsibility and just saying it can't do anything. But then what does he, <laughs> what does he actually say is the problem? It's not that, you know, there was a uh, one that these companies, this company Abbott was um, uh, uh, spending money on stock buybacks instead of uh, uh, improvements to its, you know, uh, technology and its facilities, uh, which ended up kind of causing this uh, safety, uh, these safety problems that, that forced it to shut down. It wasn't that. No, no, it's because there's this um, anti-poverty program that the government is running and, and uh, it's a government monopoly and, and that's the problem. It's, it's the government again, you know. Yeah. And it's just a standard neoliberal talking point. The problem is that there's too much government and they need to get off the back of, of, of private companies. These babies have had it too good for too long. <laughs> Sucking on this free milk. That's <laughs> true. Uh, yeah, so he says... Um, so there's the so there's this program the uh, WICs women's women infant and children is I think what they originally stood for uh, which basically provides low income mothers with vouchers they could use to buy baby formula um, which you know sounds okay on the face of it uh, but uh, Carlson said this is the quote. Um, the uh, problem right now is the Abbott Nutrition Company has made uh, the baby formula for the vast majority of WIC contracts. The government had all its eggs virtually in Abbott's basket. Unfortunately, Abbott just closed its plant in Sturgis, Michigan because of contamination. And that means millions of people who use WIC to buy Abbott products are forced to buy competing formulas. And they're all doing it at once. So what he never does at any point in there is stop to say, well, why did this contamination happen? at the mm-hmm. Abbott factory in Sturgis. Uh, gosh, I mean, what does the FDA say about that? That that would be a Google search away. Um, like <laughs> lack safety practices of, uh, of this, this company, which, you know, one would think a bold populist truth teller would have something to say about, you know, the sort of um, greed, greedy profit seeking incentives that, you know, that led them uh, to, uh, to have shitty safety practices and cause this nationwide, uh, baby formula shortage uh, when they had to uh, to close down the plant. Uh-uh. His focus is on too many of these damn low-income mothers uh, using their vouchers all at once at other companies, and, and that's, in his mind, the singular cause of the uh, baby formula shortage. Right, and, and by the way, there is uh, real government, you know, whatever, incompetence uh, or, or malfeasance, whatever you want to say, uh, uh, involved in this story that he could have called out. If he wants to criticize the government doing stuff, um, I mean, in, in this case, it's that the government didn't didn't do stuff. There was, uh, I believe, state regulators had, had sounded the alarm about this, uh, I think, in 2021, late 2021. Um, there were other um, uh, uh, warning signs that had been uh, given to, to regulators, and they didn't act on it. And that's partly why that whole thing ended up becoming such a, a, a crisis. Um, but but the thing is that, that Tucker Carlson doesn't want 
the government to do stuff. He doesn't want the state to step in and to make sure that, you know, that the private companies are acting the way they should be and that they're actually following safety practices. He, he wants, you know, private companies to be uh, allowed to, to do what they want. Put arsenic in the baby formula. <laughs> What what does what's the government uh, you know whatever incompetence supposedly uh, that that he ends up targeting? Oh, it's yeah, it's the fact that there's a, a program for the poor that there's handouts being given out to to you know people who are struggling. Well, actually, so so I'd be curious uh, if about when this guy first appeared at each of your TV sets because I think I can remember pretty exactly. But I, In I, the bow tie era? Yeah, bow tie yeah. era, probably. Yeah, definitely. The I remember, of course, the Jon Stewart thing, where Jon Stewart was giving him a hard time, yeah. was probably my... Because he was... I don't know. I don't, he was definitely not the force that he is now back then. He was just sort of a goofball who Jon Stewart made fun of. That was pretty much... That's how I remember him during, during yes. that time. Yeah, CNN used to have the show Crossfire... Uh, which um, it was at a you know it was it was like a liberal and a conservative arguing about the news, uh, which is you know like look not a format I'm even necessarily against. I think it's like good to have people get different perspectives in the same show. I think it now was we like, only have that in like Bill Maher and that's it, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out to five uh, minutes of it and that's it. <laughs> five minutes yeah. Yeah. Uh, going on uh, going on Bill Maher. Uh, but yeah, right. Like I think Crossfire was maybe a particularly dumb version of it, right? But it's like that was the that was the idea. And uh originally I don't know if there's one before him. I remember the first conservative being Pat Buchanan. Um and you know, so make whatever crossfire jokes you want, you know, uh, want to make about that. But uh, then uh, uh, there was, it might have been like Mary Madeline for a minute. But anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, I forgot about her. Yeah. That it was James Carville's wife, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the married, uh, <laughs> the married uh, opponents, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> Uh, rival spin doctors. Rivals, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, it shows that you know both corporate liberals and right wing reactionaries can can actually find stuff to uh, agree on. Absolutely, it turns out they, they agree on a lot. <laughs> you know what I was yeah. thinking though? Maybe I don't know if you guys remember the Britney Spears interview, the Tucker Carlson Britney Spears interview. Did no, you know I actually that? don't. Remember that was that. making the rounds. Yeah, what happened there? It was like she. It was when she, um, Britney Spears kissed Madonna on a VMA a, a thing or something. And it, it's a really, it's a funny inter- interview. It's a very awkward, embarrassing, but it's 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 a classic. I think that might be the the one I remember the most. Well, so he was he was disapproving of this. I I can only assume, given this was in the two thousands. He was just kind of like, he was asking her questions like, "Would you ever kiss a girl again?" And she was like, "What?" And she was like, "Shy." It was like that kind of thing. Okay. It was just like a really dumb sort of sensational interview where she's chewing gum really loud the whole time. It's really Yeah, funny. I remember yeah, the clip that was making the rounds was like him asking very seriously. So yeah. how much Pepsi do you actually drink? Yes. And yes. And, See, and, and, and I was going to say that, you know, it's quite different from his uh, from his green M&M uh, stance, the bold stance he took in that controversy. But clearly, it's actually, i got to give him a hand. He's always been consistently horny. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Well, I have to say, I saw a chat here in Ben Burgess's uh, audience. There are some green M&M 
uh, stands in here. So yeah, so, might, somebody. Might um, yeah, there's at least one person say that as a good ally, they would still nail the green M&M now. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, Androgynous M&M, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. So I remember when Tucker, definitely the first time I saw Tucker on TV, he was doing the conservative character on Crossfire, and this, and he was like aesthetically, at least, certainly a very different kind of conservative back then. I mean, he was the anybody who I don't know anybody who read the Chapa book from several years ago is the kind of conservative in the taxonomy there. They called a uh, a bow tie dipshit. You know, I mean, it's like probably mm-hmm. who they're thinking of primarily there. Um, you know, he wore a bow tie and he initially had this like very straight down the line defense of the Bush administration in uh, the early years of the war on terror. In fact, I believe uh, I have to track down the clip, so it's possible I'm misremembering this, but I believe I can remember seeing Tucker on, on Crossfire uh, defending indefinite detention, uh, I think, in, uh, in an argument with uh, Paul Begala. I, I think, the uh, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Begala was taking the centrist position that maybe we could have like military tribunals for uh, for suspected terrorists, uh, but not actually indefinite detention. And, uh, and Tucker was like, "Now just lock him up." There's yeah. a clip too. There's a really weird clip that I dug up. I don't know if you guys have, have seen this, where Hillary Clinton comes on the show. Have you seen that one? No. She, yeah, she brings him a cake because he said something that she wouldn't she wouldn't sell a certain number of books, and if he did. He would eat his shoe or something like that. He was doing the Werner Herzog thing of what he would eat his shoe. Yeah. And she brought him a cake shaped like a shoe. And the video is bizarre because they're like joking like they're like best buds or something. It's it's yeah. It's, but it's he good. didn't need a real shoe. I mean, Werner Herzog showed it can be done. But like yeah, a coward, he yeah. refused to, he to coward. boil it. He boiled it, right? I believe, boiled I believe it. he like stewed it for like an entire day or something. <laughs> Um, yeah. This is not the first time I came across Tucker Carlson, but it was an interesting little, uh, uh, you know, throwback to, to the pre-Trump era. Um, this is a. I'm going to post it in the in the chat we have here on the uh, on the show. Um, it's an Esquire interview that Tucker Carlson did with Jeb Bush in 2009. So you know, this is the very start of the Obama era, where like Jeb Bush is kind of presented as this guy's going to be the future leader of the of the Republican Party, um, and it's all about you know how Obama's exploding the deficit and so on and so forth. Um, you know, of course, uh, you can't imagine the the, the post-2016 Tucker Carlson uh, taking such a such a stance. But that that shows you, you know, that, that fundamental fact about him, which is that, like, everyone on cable news, like the people at MSNBC that he, you know, performatively loathes, he plays a character. I mean, both Rachel Maddow and him. And by the way, Rachel Maddow and Tucker Carlson are, like, good friends um because yeah i believe, I, I believe them- actually among tucker's crimes is that he inflicted rachel maddow on us because uh because uh, she i to be fair i think she'd had a radio show before this but i think her i believe her first recurring thing on tv was being a panelist on tucker's old msnbc show there you go and i mean i think you should double check this. I'm not totally sure about this, but I, I, I fail to remember a single time that either Tucker has directly, I don't know why I'm using his first name, like we're friends, that, that Tucker <laughs> Carlson has either uh, directly criticized Tuck. her or, yeah, Tuck, uh, or um, that she's done the same for her. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like there's a conspicuous absence of, of anything like any sort of content like this. Um, and I mean, it's not a coincidence that both of these people 
when both MSNBC and Fox have been sued at different times, or I think even those particular shows, actually, uh, they both use the defense quietly. Uh, oh, actually, well, we, we actually just play characters on TV. We don't really believe you and stuff. So you can't actually hold us accountable for the bullshit. Yeah, it, like in, in court cases uh, where they, they've argued that they're not liable for the things they say because nobody would take them seriously. Yeah, exactly. Not a, not a coincidence, I think. Yeah. yeah, there's a great example of that in his last – I don't know if you guys saw he's doing a documentary about bu- eating bugs. Did you guys see that? No. <laughs> I did actually see that one. Yeah, okay. So I there's... did see the comedy one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So I guess there's a, a kind of – what would you call it? Like a conspiracy trope, conspiracy internet trope where I – don't, I don't exactly know what it is. It's basically if we do anything about climate change. It's sort of like I guess a, a degrowth view of it or something where it's – if we do anything about climate change, we're going to end up eating bugs. So he's doing a we're going to eat bugs documentary. And it's very like if you watch the trailer for it, it's very scary. It looks like children, men or something, you know, but he did it. He did a, a like a, a, you know, a, a, you know, piece on his show to to pump up that documentary where he gets a guy from Brooklyn who has a, a like a boutique restaurant where he makes like like fancy, like gourmet bugs on his show to give him bugs and he eats like a chocolate bug and he's like this is delicious then he eats the bug the the like grasshopper burger and he's like it's delicious so even in his like giving the internet right or whatever what it wants he's not really in it at all you know what i mean like he just doesn't he has no connection to it whatsoever it's like maybe, basically a joke, Tim. His, maybe his defenders are right. You know, he is growing. He is changing. He's, 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 you know, reconsidering some of those old views. He likes bugs now. You he know, likes maybe, maybe he really does impose more. of bugs. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's growing yeah. and changing. <laughs> but I don't know. I thought what was interesting, I mean, yeah. of course, in the texts that were revealed recently, like, okay, he makes fun of his fans, says they're postmenopausal, but I feel like that's you're going to find that in a lot of private texts of anybody famous. Sure. But I think the really shocking thing was how much he hates Trump. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's just so annoyed, but he, he finds him embarrassing, which is so hilarious. Um, and I'm indebted to my boyfriend for this. Anders Lee of pod damn America, please like, and subscribe. He pointed out that in 1999, Tucker wrote an article about George W. Bush, kind of along the same lines, like he was embarrassed by him. Like he didn't like how he cursed. He used the F word and that like upset Carlson. And then, yeah, and and he just said like, yeah, George W. Bush didn't like reading big books. He admitted in an interview and yeah, he was just so embarrassed by him and it's his. Obs- it's so funny that he had this obsession with professionalism his whole whole career yeah. while doing M and M's and eating bugs and. Yeah, I re- I really wonder like if all of the financial stuff and him wanting to be on Fox News like a big media organization, if all that was taken away, like what would Tucker Carlson actually do just for himself to like self actualize? And I think he would do a show about. Brooks Brothers ties and boat shoes. I think that's what it would be. Yeah. You know, that's what he really cares about, I think. Entirely possible. Uh, but in terms of his public positions, so we were talking about bow tie era Carlson, where he was 
uh, initially, you know, I mean, again, he was just like a very straight down the line Bush kind of Republican um, and talked a little bit about uh, bold populist truth teller trademark. Uh, Carl said uh, from, uh, from uh, Fox, but well, I, I know Bronco knows the answer to this question, but I'm, I'm curious if the other two of you do. Uh, between, uh, not that this is the only thing he was doing, but like, you know what Tucker was doing from 2009 to 2015? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. I was uh, not keeping tabs. Yeah, I was <laughs> my uh, Tucker was off my radar at that point. I think. <laughs> sure. Well, that makes sense. Uh, the at least this aspect of what he's doing, there's no reason to be out as uh, your radar, but uh, he, uh, he was the thick tech. He was a uh, senior fellow oh, at, no way. at the Cato Institute. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I did read that. Yeah. Was he actually writing papers or what, what was oh, he I doing? It, it might've been, it might've been a, you know, the name. It might have been the right wing version of like a Sopranos no show job, but <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That like, yeah, yeah. He's hanging out near the construction site all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want to know who else is on the lawn chairs with him in that uh, in that scenario. Dan Bongino, probably. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is fascinating, right? So Tucker Carlson is officially a libertarian from 2009 through 2015 at least. Um, And this is supposed to be, well, in some ways there's continuity between that and what he's supposed to be now, you know, that there's, um, and, you know, to be fair, I actually think some of his better positions are consistent with uh, libertarianism. The, as we will talk about very selective anti-interventionism, but where there is the anti-interventionism, that makes sense as a libertarian thing. Um, but economically, at least, this is supposed to be the opposite of what Tucker's about. I mean, the whole, you know, Tucker Carlson shtick is that he's this new kind of right-wing populist that, you know, he, uh, that he, he's not like a corporate Republican, you know, he, uh, he, he cares about the ruling class and, you know, hates the elites uh, so it, it would be interesting to see how much discontinuity there actually is between his policy positions in uh, the Cato years and more recently, because, you know, the guy um, like, OK, so here's what he, uh, you know, here's what he wrote about uh, or you know, he said on his show about the effort to increase the minimum wage to 15 bucks uh, an hour. Um, you know, he, uh, he said uh, that, uh, uh, you know, he said that it would, uh, it would cost the economy a million jobs. Um, he said about Medicare for all, this is in 2019. This is definitely supposed to be top populist conductor. Uh, He said, uh, Medicare for all is actual socialism for real socialism. Healthcare amounts to about a fifth of the American, the entire American economy. Elizabeth Warren, uh, in this article, he's not even talking about Bernie. He's talking about Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren Mm -hmm. um, uh, demands total control of all of it immediately. So how do you pay for Medicare for all? It is not a minor detail. We can settle later. It is the single most important question about the program. Why do you think we don't have it already? Because we can't afford it. 
That's uh, that's interesting that that's like populist Tucker's analysis of why we don't have Medicare for all that we can't make the math work. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, I. Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say. Oh, he's not a real populist. Oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> he's faking it. Whoa, oh boy. Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, I think it was in maybe in a twenty twenty one. I went through uh, Tucker Carlson's broadcasts because I was curious. Okay. This guy's supposed to be an economic populist, but sort of conservative-leaning with social, social conservative characteristics. So here's one way to actually measure his populism. What does he actually believe about basically every major issue that has come up in, in 2021, which you remember there was so many different um, uh, uh, major kind of questions about economic policy uh, that, that kind of reached certain flashpoints at, at certain times. Um, and you, you covered those, uh, you know, you covered the $50 minimum wage. Um, he was against it. Unless it's for uh, uh, large corporations, woke large corporations. Um, if, it's, if it's a small business, well, we have, to, we have to think about the small business owner ahead of the rights of, you know. Um, yeah, he said he would be to, fine. He said he would be fine with a higher minimum wage if it were only for big business, which yeah. uh, strikes me as, okay, one – um, I mean, that's seems like a way of squaring the circle about of being populist, but also being opposed to any minimum wage hike that's proposed in the real world. That it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, supposedly you'd be in favor of this hypothetical version, but you know, for now, no. Uh, but then, two, like, okay, take it seriously, like, assume for the sake of argument that he really thinks this. Um, I mean, as I think you pointed out in that article a couple of years ago, Bronco, I mean, this is, uh, you know, 60 million people in the United States work for or classified as small businesses. So if you're one of those 60 million people, I mean, he, you know, he's saying he's fine with you getting poverty wages to prop up your employer to, you know, compete better, you know, with, yeah, uh, with exactly. And like, I, I think it's incredibly revealing because like, honestly, I think at their most sincere, um, all these, you know, supposed conservative populists uh, have, um, like, you know, the the lowest rung of the ladder they could bring themselves to even really pretend to care about are small business owners. Remember, this is not a stance he took because he's a lawmaker who has to sort of find some sort of um, uh, compromise to pass. He, he's a, he's a guy on TV. He can say whatever he wants. He can he can imagine any sort of world that he wants. And the world that he uh, the, the the sort of limits uh, to his kind of uh, ideal world, uh, yeah. That that I think sixty million people who work for uh, small businesses don't get a. I mean, fifty dollars an hour is not even a living wage. Uh, it never really was, but it's it's well beyond that uh, at twenty twenty one. So you know, I mean, I think that's interesting. Uh, 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 Medicare for all is another good one. I mean, yeah, it basically using the Biden administration or the, the Biden campaign's talking points <laughs> against it. I mean, if you're someone on the left, who genuinely on the left, who, who thinks, okay, Tucker Carlson actually had some populist positions. Um, if, if Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden came out and said, we're going to give a $15 minimum wage, but only for uh, large corporations of this and this size and office small business, would you say, oh, my God, wow, this is such a bold, populist proposal? Or would you say, oh, wow, this is more neoliberal half-measure bullshit? Now, of course, it would be the latter. And so it's bizarre to me that people can give um, such leeway to Tucker Carlson uh, to take these just 
just you know uh, uh, milk toast kind of positions that are constantly yeah how lower our standards <laughs> yeah exactly and I mean that's not the only one uh, the, another big issue in uh, uh, 2021 was uh, you know un- unemployment checks expanded unemployment insurance um, a lot of people on the left were calling on Biden to to not let them expire to to kind of step in and prevent all these um, Republican governors from eliminating it. Uh, what did Tucker Carlson do with his, you know, the top-rated show on cable news? He said, uh, yeah, this this is stopping people from working. People are being lazy because they're getting too much money. Uh, they don't have to work because they're getting 700 bucks a month. Uh, we need to eliminate it so that people can get back to work. Um, it was the same with uh, uh, the, the, the Build Back Better bill, which, you know, I mean, okay, pushed by a Democratic administration, but if you're a guy oh, who... Cares Next about, documentary I want to see is one on how uh, is a, a financial tips documentary on how to uh, make it by at seven hundred dollars a month. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to on a Fox salary. It's hard to know, you know. What, yeah. But I mean, uh, uh, that bill had all sorts of benefits for for working Americans. Uh, if you know, presumably a guy who's not uh, uh, in the pocket of either party, a guy who's just a bold truth teller talking about things for the benefit of the American people, surely he would say, yeah, hey, this is a really good bill and we should support it. And actually, if you're watching this program, go, go and support uh, the president of Congress to, to pass this. No, Carlson never mentioned the Build Back Better bill. The, the, the entire, the months and months and months that he was wrangling over this to, to push it, he never mentioned it. The one time that I found anyway that he mentioned it, he basically cast it as a form of um, – of, of racial uh, dis- redistribution, and that was a, it. Was a, it was th- that was how he summed it up in one sentence, and then he just moved on. Um, so you know, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you should judge people maybe not even on their rhetoric, but actually on the on the positions they take on actual real issues. Um, and I think on both of those things, Tucker Carlson reveals himself as a as a fraud. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know if you guys saw any of his uh, coverage during the 2020 primary. He was – I saw a couple of clips of him talking about Bernie, and basically the only thing that I saw him say was that Bernie was pro-immigrant, so he's bad. And that was, that was it. That was the way to just get that out of the way. Well, to be fair, he also did say Bernie Sanders wants to bring back socialism, and socialism has always failed where, where, where it's always been tried. Look at Cuba and Venezuela. Uh, so, you know, I mean <laughs> – he also had some bold populist talking points. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard those before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, no, it's, it's amazing. And that like, there are people, I think even on the left who are a cheap enough date on those issues to say, uh, Oh, well, you know, maybe I don't love all Tucker's, you know, positions as social conservatives and whatever, but there's a, uh, but um, at least, uh, at least he's a, you know, anti-war populist and uh, the, uh, you know, the populist part, I think we've, you know, gone over pretty thoroughly here. Uh, I mean, I, my favorite, actually, I think the most revealing thing, we don't have it tonight, but, you know, we've played this clip on the show before uh, example. This was when he had Chris Smalls, on uh on his show and you know i think smalls handled it perfectly but very transparently the reason he had him on was that smalls had been uh fighting with aoc on twitter right i forgot about that yeah (laughs) yeah because like she'd had uh she'd been supposed to like go to an amazon workers rally and then 
like uh, she canceled at the last minute. And there was some bad blood about that. And, you know, I, I might not be remembering it exactly, but it was something like that. And so, you know, he and AFC had exchanged some words about that on, on Twitter. Um, like clockwork, right? Chris Smalls get the, gets the Tucker invitation. And it could not be more obvious that he's being invited on to talk about AOC, uh, to, uh, to, to say that actually see AOC is a big fraud, whatever. Uh, Smalls declines the invitation. He's like, yeah, no, she wasn't there, but you know, other politicians weren't there either. We had to do it by ourselves. And he starts talking about union stuff. Um, and then Tucker just very obviously has no idea what to do with that. And it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> like, you know, do I end the conversation now? <laughs> and, uh, and he lets this thing out, which I thought was very revealing, where he says, look, nor, you know, normally I'm not particularly pro-union. Right. But, you know, I remember Jeff that, yeah. is a bad guy. So, you yeah, know, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's good that he has to deal with the union, um, which, again, says everything. Because, like, at absolute best, if you take the objection to – sort of big corporate capital seriously don't think it's like a hundred percent hot air uh at best that's not an objection on behalf of workers you know it's a objection on behalf yeah. of smaller just capital. want to he just wants bezos to have a, a bad morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly okay but on the other end of the anti-war populist equation i mean you know it's the only thing that he seems to actually want to do to benefit at least native born workers is to round up and deport immigrant workers. Um, the, uh, but at least he's anti-war, right? That's, that's the, that's the, that's the gotta be the big, you know, that's like the left case for, for, for Tucker that like, he's clearly an anti-war guy. Well, he had on the gray zone people. So <laughs> he's, <laughs> Exactly right. That that is the uh, a lot of people in that you know quarter of the left or left adjacent, whatever you know. I, I don't know that all those people would necessarily even claim in some cases to be leftists, but whatever that they they whatever you want to call them, right? That they, anti-imperial. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. A lot of people who sort of think of as capital A, capital I anti-imperialists were willing to you know had some time for Tucker and were willing to give some credit on this, um, and. You know, there is a German truth to this, uh, I think, which is that he's definitely against some wars uh, that, mm -hmm. you know, even though he was originally a supporter of the Iraq war and even with, even in 2006, when he had already soured on it to some extent, uh, he still thought the Iraqis were semi-literate primitive monkeys who just needed to obey. Um, but uh, but he I think it's fair to say became more critical over the decades of the sort of Bush era wars in the Middle East, um, certainly much better on civil liberties than he had been in uh, the early 2000s. Uh, and this is the big one. People who don't want to believe that he was fired for, um, you know, straightforward business reasons because he was implicated in like 20 lawsuits, um, you know, like think, oh, it must have been because of his stance on Ukraine. And we can certainly talk about the, you know, what was good and bad about what he had to say about, about Ukraine. I actually think that one's a little bit complicated, but would it be fair, uh, Bronco to, uh, to say that this guy was anti-war? 
I mean, he's anti-war in the same way that Trump was anti-war or a sort of anti-imperialist president, as some people uh, right now. Well, yeah. Trump stance was like the Japan should pay for the bases that we have there. Right. right. Or, or, you know, I mean, it was kind of uh, doing everything to stoke war and then kind of um, uh, uh, shying away at the last moment. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give Carlson some credit. I mean, it doesn't doesn't require a lot of credit. He, he, he uh, seemingly was one of the most or maybe the most influential figure in telling Trump in 2019 to kind of not uh, follow through and actually start a war with Iran. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, that, that that's good. But, I mean, that's such a low bar. And that's the same thing with Trump. I mean, like, Trump didn't start any new wars, not totally <laughs> without, you know, for lack of trying. But, I mean, is that is that really a, 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 such a great thing? Does it mean he was a great uh, president? Yeah, I mean, I mean he also uh, assassinated Soleimani and took us closer to the brink of war with Iran than we've been since the hostage crisis, even if you thought that. <laughs> Increased like, drone strikes. Increased drone strikes rapidly, stoked tensions majorly with Russia. I mean, some of the most kind of the, the, the biggest accelerations in U.S. Russia tensions that, that ultimately led to this horrific. Yeah, war I mean, nobody watching every day came under Trump, you know, and that's so this it's such a low bar. Yes. This in 2023, but in 2012, there was this uh, moment in one of the Obama Romney debates where the candidates were asked. Uh, what's the greatest geopolitical threat to the United States? Obama said climate change. Um, and Romney said Russia. And liberal America roundly mocked him for saying Russia, that this this guy's living in the past. This is some sort of weird Cold War throwback. You know, he doesn't know what year he's in. Um, so, you know, the politics of that certainly changed dramatically, you know, over the decades since then. But uh, I believe, Jake, we have a clip of Tucker Carlson's answer to the same question. You know, what's the biggest threat to the United States? Russia is not America's main enemy, obviously. No sane person thinks it is. Our main enemy, of course, is China. And the United States ought to be in a relationship with Russia aligned against China to the extent that we can. China is the country that's currently, right now, murdering tens of thousands of Americans every year with fentanyl. It's depopulating parts of the country. It's pushing our life expectancy down. That's how profound a threat this is. It's coming from China, and our elites barely care. They won't even acknowledge it. In fact, many of our politicians run interference for the communist government of China instead. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's an incredibly low bar, number one. To oh, Okay, well, someone said, hey, maybe Iran, uh, well, with Iran is not a good idea. Um, I don't think that that means suddenly that they're like incredibly uh, uh, courageous anti-war wars. Maybe they're just kind of commonsensical and, and don't want to, you know, potentially die or, <laughs> you know, see catastrophe happen. But number two, I mean, as that clip shows, the, the way to understand uh, Carlson's uh, stance in Ukraine, which um, some some of those broadcasts, you know, there were, there were things said that I agreed with. Some of them, you know, where he would outright kind of say, oh, I'm actually on Russia's side here. You know, I absolutely don't agree with it at all. And, and as, a, as a very different kind of a very peculiar kind of anti-war stance. To be to be supporting a, a country that's that's invading yeah, others, but I mean, a, the, it's a very subtle way of being anti-war to uh, su- support to support the war. 
Yeah, I mean the the thing that he was doing, and this is a this is unless you think Richard Nixon was some sort of profound peacenik, um, you know, he was basically just updating Richard Nixon's playbook, which was during the Cold War, him and others who were Cold War hawks, they uh, quite rationally looked at a, a possible. Um, alliance between communist China and uh, the USSR, and they said, "Oh, that would be absolutely catastrophic. There's no way that we could take on such a um, such a, such a force." You know, with with the combination of Russian industrial might and its, its resources combined with the massive population of China. Um, so, what we have to do is we have to try and kind of peel these two countries away, which they they have tensions and difficulties. The relationship is not a good one. So if we can sort of exploit that and actually um, uh, uh, widen this gap, then we can, you know, maybe peel off China. We can just deal with the Soviet Union and, and more easily win the Cold War. That was Nixon's thinking. That's where the, uh, the, 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 you know, the one China policy came from. And that's basically uh, Carlson's kind of uh, uh, thinking, I think, that drives a lot of this kind of, you know, anti-war content on Ukraine is, uh, it's it's a flipping of that because now you know there's no more Soviet Union. China is the the only you know whatever nominally communist uh, power, a great power in the world. Uh, he wants China to be defeated by the United States, um, and so uh, you know it wasn't so much in, in in that clip, but he has explicitly talked about the fact that uh, right now this war is. Uh, 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 pushing China and Russia together. And that's a really threatening thing. We should be doing everything to kind of split them apart. That was his point. He wants the U.S., similar to other realists, similar to kind of maybe John Mearsheimer as well. Um, you know, I think they prefer that the U.S. aligns with Russia so that they can more easily defeat China. Now, a war with China, um, if you think a war with Russia is bad, and I think I do, and I think any rationally thinking person does, um, then get, get ready for what a war with China would look like. Because not only does it have the same exact nuclear risks where we could all just end up, you know, incinerated in a nuclear inferno, um, but also, uh, I mean, China, Russia has immense resources that are vital to the world economy, but China is the largest, uh, the, the world's largest trading partner. It's, a, it's the largest trading partner of, of the majority of the world's countries. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it's trade with the United States is massive, uh, whereas trade between the Soviet Union and the U.S. was non-existent. So if there was a war between those two countries, that would be absolutely catastrophic. And this is what Tucker has spent not one or two segments, not the occasional segment where he's had Jimmy Doron, not, you know, one or two lines here. He has spent years and segment after segment pushing this idea that China's a threat. It's responsible for everything bad in the United States. It's infiltrating everything that the, the, the people that, that run the country are beholden to it, so on and so, so forth, that the military and intelligence agencies have to get strengthened so we can take them on. Um, it's it's not just a minor thing. You can't just say, well, you know, I'll, I'll put that aside, but, you know, let's look at some of the other stuff he said. I mean, that's a, that's a major thing that he was pushing for, for, you know, the past, what, six years, if not longer. Yeah, it's kind of astonishing to see him be serious for one minute. <laughs> 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 yeah, the the China scare stuff on his show is like almost cartoonish. Like I don't know if you guys remember, he had that guy. I can't remember his name. He's some right wing, you know, social media guy who said the the uh, throne of Chinese skulls thing. I don't know if you guys remember yeah, that yeah, clip. Was, uh, yeah, it was in the context of like saying that the military got too woke. Yeah, and, uh, the guy was like, oh, we don't need you know these like feminized blah blah blah. You know, guys in the military. You know, we need the kind of men who dream of, I think it was drinking blood on a top of a <laughs> road of Chinese skulls as Tucker's like, 
Huh. Hmm. Good Interesting point. point this guy's making. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Yeah. No, it's it's I mean, one just in terms of Tucker's economic populism, it is amazing that his singular uh explanation of the fentanyl crisis is China. Right? Oh yeah. US economics, you know, causing like poverty and despair. You know, it's, it's all this it's all this horrid. Uh, you know, like it's it's it the problem is just coming from outside. Um but then two uh, I mean, it really does put the Ukraine stuff in perspective because, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm with you, Bronco. I, I have I think that it's like a certain amount of stuff that he says about Ukraine, like, you know, I don't think is wrong. I think that um, like we should be more worried about escalated tensions with Russia, and, you know, with the slim but terrifying possibility of World War Three and all that stuff. Uh, and, and he did say some of that stuff on the show. And so I'm going to give him half a point for that uh he would also say like i mean look i know this accusation is often made unfairly but like uh he actually was kind of a putin apologist uh like a lot of people have been accused of that or not yeah that's like the hack joke that's coming out right now like putin needs another spokesperson yeah yeah and it's like yeah that feels so hacky or whatever but then you go and look at some of these segments like i think he actually did one i believe this is linked in uh, Bronco's piece where uh he, he was actually like he actually starts with like you know why have we been told to hate Vladimir Putin? You know, what's, what's so bad. What's so bad about this guy. And it's like, even if we're just looking at his Ukraine position in isolation, that's still like a pretty profound difference between the sort of way that from a left internationalist kind of perspective, you'd be anti-war and this sort of way of being anti-war. Um, like, you know, Eugene V. Debs, when he was being like arrested for speaking out against World War One, wasn't like, I don't think the Kaiser's a bad guy. Why? Why is everybody talking to about, about the Kaiser? You know, like, you know, take it for granted that you know that you should be in solidarity with the anti-war movement in Germany too, and you know, all that. So it's like that—that's already a big difference. But it's like, all right, if you're just looking at Ukraine, I get how you could see it in a certain light, but he just could not be more explicit. It's like that clip that I just watched. It's like, yeah, his objection to heating up the conflict between the U.S. and Russia is that he thinks that the United States should be allied with Russia against China because, you know, that's really who you should, you know, stay up all night being terrified of. That's who you should want to, you know, like what we really need is yeah. is conflict with China. Yeah. And I I, I think it's like what's interesting about having this discussion about Tucker, it's like, he's, you know, he's reflecting the discourse as it is. And it's like the, you know, the Russia gate stuff went so far that, that Tucker's talking point is now, yeah, let's ally with Putin because, you know, because the Democrats has, have made him such a bogeyman. So, yeah, I think it's interesting that, I think, you know, I'm looking at the chat and some people are like, yeah, what's the point? Tucker, like, ne- never made any serious points, but here he really was. And it's just showing, like, how bipolar this this discussion has gotten, where it's, like, so removed from the actual circumstances. And I think, uh, just, to, just to add one final thing to that, I mean, some people have... Uh, 
sort of, uh, I think they, they think of it as they're, they're putting it out to me that, that oh, well, look, uh, when Nancy Pelosi did her trip and, you know, completely reckless and stupid and if it just simply endangered Taiwan by doing it, um, uh, that, that Carlson had a segment basically saying, you know, this is a stupid thing to do and she's provoking China. Yeah, that that is true. Um, and by the way, it's in the piece I wrote, so it's a completely pointless thing to put out to me. But um, uh, if you actually look at what he said was, he didn't say this is bad because it would um, lead to war with China and war with China is bad. His point was that the U.S. military is not in the position it, it needs to be to be able to fight a war with China. So uh, uh, fighting a war with Taiwan right now, and that's a direct quote from him, right now, is, is not in the U.S. interest. He's not saying that it's not in the U.S. interest, you know, in the long term or later on when the U.S. military, when there's, you know, tons more resources and money and, and waste has gone into the military industrial complex. He just means right now. And if you think he, that makes him a dove, then you must think that, you know, Elbridge Colby, uh, a frequent guest of his, you know, one of the most um, uh, extreme and I, I'd say influential China hawks out there, uh, often Tucker Carlson, you know, I mean, you must think he's a dove too, even though he is constantly talking about the need to, to, to fight China. And I mean, Colby went on, on Carlson's show and made that exact point on Pelosi's visit. He said, well, you know, Pelosi doing this is incredibly stupid. She's poking the dragon. Um, you know, the U.S. is not where it needs to be right now to be able to actually properly have this fight. Um, you know, it, it, it's not anti-provocation. It's anti-provocation right now until the U.S., can, you know, be in a position to, to wage this idiotic war. Um, so I think just, you know, people, and there are people out there who I think think of themselves as left-wingers, but, but think Carlson had some good, uh, you know, anti-war points. I think people need to actually properly uh, reckon with this. Yeah, I mean, and in the segment, I mean, you quoted in your, in your article, uh, in the, the Pelosi segment, uh, he explicitly says in so many words that um, – the, the problem with, you know, poking the dragon is that, you know, the military is too weak, you know, that we, we need to we need to build up the military. He also says, by the way, maybe of particular interest to some of his uh, left or left adjacent fans that uh, we need a stronger CIA to fight yep. China. Yeah, not so much. Uh, not, not really against the deep state so much. Uh, Carlson's objection to you know the CIA was that they were um, having you know uh, uh, a young what millennial employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah about having like generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah. His whole yeah. his whole thing was that the CIA, and that was his whole. Uh, he, he didn't like that commercial with the cisgender millennial. Yeah, the CIA was too, yeah. was too woke, and I mean that's the same thing. You know, people pass around this uh, a story, this political story. Story that you know the military or, or you know military officials celebrate Tucker Carlson's ouster, and I think that was also they're passing it around as being like, ah, see, you know, he was against the military industrial complex, he was against the the national security establishment. Look how happy they are gone. But you read the piece, and what they say, the people quoted are saying is that they were annoyed because he was constantly insulting the military and saying it was weak and it couldn't fight very yeah. well, and that it had and too many just women. Like, we're just trying to. Co- recruit more people like shut up <laughs> yeah yeah exactly anybody <laughs> yeah precisely so it's not that they thought oh wow his uh you know the, the, the stuff he's saying is too dangerous because it exposes the <laughs> decades of, of you know u.s government malfeasance in the world stage yeah do, do you think I mean, they oh sorry go ahead go ahead no i was just gonna point out yeah that the the woke um you know, all that woke advertising for recruitment in the military and the intelligence services. It's like, cause they're trying to attract more educated people. They're having this problem of 
more intellectual people going to Silicon Valley and getting higher paying jobs. And now they're like, we'll freeze your eggs. You could be trans, whatever, just come <laughs> fight for us. You know, like that's, that's what it, it was about. We'll give you a free PlayStation, just anything, please. Sign up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, do you, so do you think that it's all just sort of a scare tactic? The, cause I mean, they have to have some inkling that a war with China would be a total, I mean, devastating disaster is it just rhetoric to build up the military industrial complex and all that stuff is that the whole point of all that stuff i mean i i think that he maybe doesn't want a full-on war with china um i do think probably a, to you know carson's not a total idiot um i think he probably understands that um a war would be pretty disastrous for for any number of reasons but like he clearly wants for a more confrontational and and yeah, to treat China as an enemy, and 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 I mean, you know, you can say, oh, well, that you know, he's not maybe going for full-on war. Although, again, he says war may be inevitable, and we have to prepare for it. But I mean, why is it inevitable? It's inevitable because he, people like himself, constantly presented as being uh, as as there being no other option. The the only possible option. It can't be that you know the U.S. and China, for all the differences and for all the 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 many many. Uh, terrible criticisms you can make of, of Chinese, the Chinese government and what it does, that, that it can't be possible for these two countries to coexist and maybe even cooperate to deal with, you know, some of the world's worst crises. He, he never presents that side. He only presents the side where this in, a country is a threat. It's destroying America and, and we have to, to confront it. And so, you know, whether he wants war or not doesn't really make a lot of difference because at the yeah, end of the day, I, mean, I think that's roughly parallel to like, anti-Russia hawks that, um, I mean, even though obviously there were the really crazy people saying a year ago that we should set up a no-fly zone in uh, in Ukraine. But I think for the most part, you know, the people who um, constantly bluster in super hawkish ways about Russia don't, you know, I mean, there, there is that last little lingering shred of insanity saying that like, you know, okay, probably we can't have an all-out direct hot war between the United States and Russia, you know, because then everybody would die. But uh, but they certainly want, you know, something more confrontational than we're doing right now. And similarly, it seems like Tucker, at the very least, wants like a real full-on Cold War with China. By the way, I love the point, Bronco, that you make in the piece that, um, like, all of the things that were so dumb about Russiagate, like, Tucker just replicates for anti-China purposes. I mean, we saw a little bit of that in the clip that the, uh, you know, like the politicians he doesn't like are in the pockets of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, you know, the same exact stuff he complains about that people are doing to him. And by the way, I, you know, in, in the Jacobin piece I wrote, I actually defended Carlson. I said, you know, this is a pretty disgraceful way to like, you know, basically attack anti-war criticism or anti-war to say whatever you think about Carlson, I think it's pretty clear what we all think about on this podcast. Um, I said, you know, this is just a, a really shameful way to carry out any sort of political debate. But he constantly engaged in that exact kind of thing. He was always saying that he, I mean, he literally said, you know, that the Biden administration and, and basically Democratic lawmakers are deliberately weakening the country so that it can lose to China. Um, he was constantly saying that, that again, not even implying it, just saying, yeah, these people uh, were in, the, in cahoots 
with the Chinese government. So um, I, I unfortunately, I have to go. But, I mean, I'll just say very quickly, um, you know, I, I think having said all this, I don't think, you know, I've never been one of these people who says people shouldn't go on Tucker Carlson. Um, if, if you want to go on there and be able to reach millions of people, you know, the, the people on the left, uh -huh. um, go ahead and do so. I mean, uh, I, I don't care. There's so many terrible people with terrible opinions that have control of media apparatuses that, are, you know, to, to make – one exception, it's very difficult to, to say why one is, is, you know, you absolutely can't do this, but, but you know, you can go on CNN, which pushed the Iraq war or MSNBC. But what I, what I will say is, I, I, you know, where I think we should draw the line is, you know, suddenly pretending that Tucker Carlson is some sort of politically virtuous uh, truth teller. I mean, you can say, yeah, go on a show, use that platform to advance the, the, the views that yeah. people should hear, but don't go around saying that he's some sort of, hero or some sort of, you know, anti yeah, Chris, Chris Smalls went on, went on Tucker and I think handled it perfectly. And I'm glad he did, uh, got, got some extra eyes on the Amazon labor unions efforts, but, uh, I haven't seen him. Uh, I haven't, I, you know, I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Smalls, you know, tweeting about how, you know, Tucker <laughs> yeah, is like a genuine yeah. populist who was fired because of his brave stance on Ukraine or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> well, cause, yeah. Cause he, uh, you know, took on business executives on the, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, he's, no, for sure. What he's doing is just like what we're doing at Amazon. Um, I haven't seen <laughs> yeah. that. I haven't seen that take. And you know, and, and I think the anti-China stuff is really like I think the last thing, maybe before letting Bronco go, just just to say about this is like, um, you know, if it seems like really harping on it, like it's like okay, whatever, you know, like if you're going to make some sort of like contrarian case for Tucker. Uh, it, you got to start with like, okay, obviously he has a lot of awful positions. Uh, the, uh, and you know, it, it's going to be a despite everything thing. Uh, and, um, it's like, okay, he might be like really racist, you know, so he throws in demographic change, you know, to his, his list at the beginning, but, and you know, by the way, I don't think that's a separate issue from the alleged economic populism. I think that that's, you know, I think the classic cartoon, with the guy with the, you know, the one cookie on his plate and the rich guy has 20 cookies on his plate. And he's like, Oh yeah, that immigrant is trying to take your cookie, uh, you know, is, is apt there. Uh, but, um, but the China thing is not just like, Oh, he has some shitty positions. That's one of them. We're talking about this guy who until last week was the most popular host on cable TV at a time when relations between the United States and China actually have gotten worse and worse. And uh, in fact, there has been a lot of aggressive bipartisan effort to, um, to, you know, disentangle us from China to, you know, to uh, escalate tensions between the United States and China, and, you know, I don't know, my bad TikTok eventually, you know, et cetera. And like some of like, I think, you know, I think the last point I would make before saying goodbye to Bronco is just like all of this stuff does have an impact in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think uh, one way to look at this is just what it says about how uh, just, you know, uh, a terrible cable news is, how it's just this barren landscape. I mean, he, he's right about that in that video that we watched. I mean, it is just this <laughs> yeah. highly conformist empty uh, media landscape where everyone just says the same thing and they talk about things that don't matter and they have big loud arguments about stuff that actually doesn't have any real impact on people and and i think that's the thing the fact that we we have given 
Carlson some very limited praise, I think just shows how how just uh, uh, deprived of any kind of, you know, real substance came with you, that someone like that could, you know, sort of eat, uh, get actually a pretty big audience from just deviating from orthodoxy in, in tiny little ways here and there. And, you know, maybe maybe somebody out there, um, you know, who has a, has a, a budding television uh, career or is, or is even out there now could, might look at Carlson's success and say, hey, you know what, maybe there's actually a, a, a real hunger out there for people to watch stuff that, that actually does, you know, challenge power, but in a real way, not in the fake way that Carlson did, but in a real way. That actually might get some ratings. Um, wouldn't that be nice to see? I, I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know. Right. Um, anyway, it was good to be with you guys. I'm sorry I have to, right. to gather. Thanks, Bronco. Nice to meet you. All right. Uh, Bronco's piece in uh, Jacobin is Tucker Carlson isn't to the anti-imperialist. He's a rabid China hawk. Uh, people should check that out. But while well, I still have the other two-thirds of the panel, uh, we do have one more Tucker clip to do as we're doing. Let's check it as out. As we're finishing our survey of all of his positions. Uh, <laughs> Jake, do we have the remaining Tucker clip? Bet you didn't think M&Ms were pushing intolerance, but they were. They've been changed. You're seeing the changes right now on your screen. The green M&M, you will notice, is no longer wearing sexy boots. Now she's wearing sensible sneakers. Why the change? Well, according to M&Ms, quote, we all win when we see more women in leading roles because leading women do not wear sexy boots. Leading women wear frumpy shoes. The frumpier, the better. That's the rule. The other big change is that the brown M&M has, quote, transitioned from high stilettos to lower block heels, also less sexy. That's progress. M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment you wouldn't want to have a drink with any one of them. That's the goal. When you're totally turned off, we've achieved equity. They've won. <laughs> That's some hard-hitting analysis. Yeah, I do like the image of him, like, having a drink with the M&Ms, you know? Like him desperately trying to come up with conversation topics to keep the green (laughs) M&M interested, you know what I mean? (laughs) So how much Pepsi do you actually drink? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he was crushing. He was crushing pretty hard on that green M&M. I don't know, like, it's almost, it's, I, I almost think it's too bad because he is kind of an odd guy, you know, like his mannerisms are sort of odd and it would, if he just stayed away from the like kind of wretched political stuff that he gets into, he might've been a funny guy, like almost to do like a Dave Attell insomniac kind of thing where he just goes to bars and stuff and he's kind of awkward. He's way overdressed and he just talks to normal people might've been funny. You know what I mean? Like, he did think- have some genu- genuinely funny. I mean, I yeah, I didn't watch that much, but there was one thing that really made me cackle was <laughs> like it's like Kamala Harris says surprise at her own surprise birthday party. It was like that was the lower third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his lower thirds are pretty amazing too. Like they'll just spin the whole the whole conversation. It's a good lower third work on the Tucker Carlson program. <laughs> yeah. I just really like the implication that, you know, he's turned off when the shoes change. So yeah, he was turned on before. <laughs> right, 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 right. You should see it. Look at a drag queen. He, 
That's high fam. <laughs> I am, well, okay, but I mean, you know, a, a, you know, a drag queen, you know, I mean, that's not, you know, that's not really a woman that we wear as like an a M&M. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> that's confusing. <laughs> the Eminem is now wearing sensible shoes. She just moved to Bushwick. Like she's just trying to fit in. She's got a big denim jacket. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is fun. It it is a little interesting how hard um, Eminem's leaned into that. Like the green Eminem being hot thing. Like some of the older commercials are like you know they're really like no the the, the green Eminem is hot guys like come on yeah. You know? <laughs> Like they they really went for it, and Tucker Carlson seems to have really that really affected him, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess she had the last laugh because uh, because uh, Tucker has uh, lost his show, but I'm sure that um, I'm sure that he's not gone forever. Nobody in 2023 is gone forever. If you have any kind of audience, mm-hmm. it will pop up. Um, Where like, do we think he's going to be? Yeah, I, I wonder about that because he does seem like the kind of guy who probably I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think. Like, I feel like he probably thinks that just doing social media is beneath him because he's been doing big cable news for so long that he feels like that's maybe like a class thing or something. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, wonder. he could certainly have a. I mean, like absolute worst case scenario. I mean, if he wanted to just have like a podcast, I mean, it's, it's that, yeah, I'm sure he would have, you know, I'm sure he would have a wildly successful one. I mean, you know, he, he is unfortunately good at this and, you know, mm-hmm. there's no, um, like there's no reason he couldn't do that. I could definitely see him thinking that was beneath him, but I guess the question is like, if he's not willing to do that, does he just retire? I kind of have a hard time imagining that either. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I wonder. I wonder what he's going to do. May, probably Rumble or something. Maybe Rumble, maybe just a podcast, you know. But it's funny like, you know, I've watched a you know, a bunch of his show and he does do these weird segments like sometimes he'll just go off on like aliens. Like he's really interested in aliens, you know. Or I remember he did a segment where somebody had like a raccoon as a pet. Like he really likes that too. It would be <laughs> great to just see him do all that you know it's just aliens yeah. raccoons i mean look i can see i can see the appeal of that like i mean i i mean i actually liked it when keith olbermann came back to espn for a minute and he was doing essentially the same show he always did on msnbc except all he was doing was talking about sports <laughs> and it's like oh you know it's like actually a decently entertaining format yeah. And if it's 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 not like attached to these like super vapid like lib political opinions, then it's like yeah okay I'll, I'll watch that. Uh, and then he like lost that show right away. I assume he's very hard to work with, but you know the. Uh, but yeah, I, I could like if if Tucker Carlson you know decided to lay off uh, the immigrants and trans people in the nation of China and and uh, you know the Eminem. No, you know what? Fuck it. He can still talk about the Eminems. Yeah. <laughs> he just wanted to do a show about raccoon pets and you know and Eminems and all that. Like it's like, yeah, no, more power to him. I'll watch. Absolutely. Full support. That would be yep. good content. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh RM, start with you. What uh where can people find your stuff? 
Uh, just YouTube channel RM Brown, and that's uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, Twitter, um, I think what's my Twitter handle? X RM Brown X two, I think. Maybe follow follow me on there. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I know. I don't know all... your Twitter handle. Come on, man. I know. I messed up. I messed up. Mm-hmm. I never thought anybody would find me on Twitter, but you know, a couple people have. So yeah, I'm, I messed up on that one. You Fair know, whoops. Naomi. <laughs> I'm Naomi Caravani on all platforms, Instagram and Twitter. I lost my blue check, which is pretty sad. Oh, oh man. Is it, isn't there like some kind of hack to get it back? Did you see that where you like type something in and it gets uh, gets your blue check back? People have been talking about that. I don't know if it's oh, real I will be looking for that because. <laughs> Were you, did you value no, the blue check a lot? The deal that you could only, you could get the blue check back, but it would go back to Russian state affiliated media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same boss as Tucker for a while. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, fair enough. Well, uh, check that out. Um, thank you both so much. This is so much fun. Thanks yeah, for having. Thanks for thanks having, having me. me. All right. Uh, so yeah, do check uh, both of those people out. Uh, Naomi at uh, her name and RM Brown at X One five seven whatever the fuck that was uh meanwhile though uh before uh before we go to uh the post game for uh for patrons uh do just want to plug one last thing uh while we're in the main show so uh next monday if nothing changes we're gonna have uh lillian sicarchia on uh we're gonna talk about carl marx's book uh the poverty of philosophy and speaking of that book uh i am going to be doing a class on the gta patreon um uh, where we're going to read first uh prudon's uh book the philosophy of poverty and then marx's response uh the poverty of philosophy uh so that's going to be i'm going to be away at a uh going to a wedding next weekend but i, I think that's going to start the sunday after next uh, Sunday mornings from, uh, well, afternoons from one to three. If you're in the Eastern time zone, that seems to be the time that works the best for people in different time zones who take these classes. We just finished a long one on capital, uh, which is why we're switching gears to do that. So you will hear much more about that next week. Meanwhile, though, uh, we are about to go to the post game with uh, our live show producer, Jordan Dubin. We are going to be talking Slavoj uh, Zizek, looking at a couple of his articles. Uh, fun should be had by all. So uh, if you are not a GTA patron yet, that's Ben Burgess, <laughs> patreon.com slash Ben Burgess, five bucks a month, get the patron exclusive post games after every regular Monday night episode, access to the discord server, our eternal love and gratitude for helping to keep this thing going. And then, um, you know, you could also sign up for the higher tier if you want to take the, uh, the class. So, uh, go do that. But if you are a patron, you should already have the, uh, the link, uh, to the post game. And we're going to go do that right now. Um, happy May Day. Left is best. Mm-hmm.